Welcome to the Gold Standard here on the 440 Sports Network. My name is Braden Gall. You can follow me on Twitter at Braden Gall. And my name is Michael Gallagher of Nashville Hockey Now. You can follow me on Twitter at MG Sports underscore. Michael, how are you, sir? Lots of stuff to do today on the pod. How's it going? Yeah, I'm fantastic. Unless you uh, happen to be interacting with Toronto Maple Leafs fans with the uh, all the <laughs> trade speculation. I had some very rude people yesterday interacting with me, but other than that, I'm great. Oh, that's what happens when you get into the Menchies, uh, when you get into the Menchies of the biggest brand in all of NHL hockey, which, of course, is not going to be represented in the Stanley Cup final. Now that Canada has been eliminated, every team north of the Mason-Dixon line has been eliminated. We do have the final four. I guess the question I have for you, and we'll get to this a little bit later on with Dallas, Vegas, Carolina, Florida. Two questions. Number one is who on earth should Predators fans root for? Because <laughs> it, it is hard to pick one. Anybody uh, but us. Uh, so and then is it, it the good and bad of it being an all southern final four a potentially very southern stanley cup final certainly gary bettman has vested interest in the southern markets and and sort of the quote-unquote expansion teams all of which by the way uh these teams sort of either moved from somewhere or or expanded pretty recently in the last 20 25 years so kind of an interesting final four i don't think uh exciting for predators fans but we'll get to that uh, arizona speaking of relocation arizona uh, has the fans have voted down the new stadium in Arizona, this massive complex that was going to be built um, and totally transform the area and build a brand new building. Uh, ironically, at $2.1 billion, Nashvillians know all about that number. Uh, that was voted down. So what is the future of the Arizona Coyotes? We'll get to that. Uh, but we got to start with, with, and I guess this is partly why you are in the Twitter menchies with with Toronto fans, is, is, is trading for one of those big players. I think Robbie brought this up. Uh, on on his show, Robbie Stanley, um, about Austin Matthews in particular. So should we be trading? I think there's another question that needs to be asked about UC Soros that wasn't really a part of that conversation, but kind of ties to it. And then, of course, you wrote an interesting piece about John Hines' future with the Nashville Predators. So a lot of stuff to do today on the pod, the Gold Standard pod, which is, in fact, brought to you by... Jaspers. Michael, two more people tweeted at us. Photos of going to Jasper's saying I have now been more than Michael Gallagher. I know I'm dropping the ball. I apologize. I would like to formally apologize to Jasper's. I am sorry. It's a wonderful establishment with great food. I, I have no excuses. I, I need to make another trip to Jasper's. I'm hoping to check that off the list at some point. I know I've been saying that for a while. You need new I material. I will get to it. I'm, I'm working two jobs. I'm in Hendersonville. It's not, I'm not as close as I was when I was living in East Nashville, but it is on my off-season to-do list. Who knows? Maybe if there, if there are listeners out there that want to grab a pre-draft beer, maybe I'll meet you guys at Jasper's before I head to Bridgestone Arena for the draft on June 28th, I believe. You're going to drink before working? That sounds that sounds like a smart idea. Um, no, Jasper's is a great place to go to pre-game for the draft. Also, I think one of our one of the guys one of the, I apologize for forgetting the name, but I think one of the guys was like, "Yeah, I live in like Kansas City, and I've been three times, or, yeah. or something like that," uh, which I find utterly fascinating. Yeah, I, listen, these all 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 I just heard was excuses, Michael. That's all I heard was excuses. No excuses. Rule number seventy six: No excuses. Play like a champion. Get your butt to Jasper's, everybody. Uh, Michael, same. Do the same. The food is great. The kids love it. The game room, the grab and go market for for Mother's Day gifts was perfect. Um, it, it's the menus again. You're you're gonna all. There's always something good, no matter what you are doing. Fancy date night with the with the significant other. You got the family. You got a lunch lunch meeting. You got happy hour with with your friends to watch a game. Whatever it may be, uh, especially if you're watching uh, these final four here in the conference finals in the Eastern and Western Conference. So go to Jasper's, everybody. Uh, buy yourself a gold standard cocktail. By the way, it's an excellent drink. Uh, very refreshing now that the temperatures are a million degrees outside in Nashville. That's that's also a scientific fact. Okay, so Spencer Carberry, I, I believe you and Adam both have brought this name up in the same episode a couple of weeks ago. You mentioned him. He was um, the head coach of the affiliate for the Washington Capitals when Barry Trotz was at the Washington Capitals as his head coach. So there's a, so the Hershey Bear. There's a familiarity there. Uh, he is right now being talked about quite frequently as the top candidate for any team to hire as a head coach. The Washington Capitals included. The San Jose Sharks have been... Uh, I've seen reports of him being interested. You sort of had uh, an interesting uh, uh, column, uh, an interesting piece on Nashville Hockey Now, of course, about this. I, 
who knows what Barry Trotz is going to eventually do. I, and we'll get to sort of the dynamics at play because he's not actually the general manager yet, which actually I think you could argue is a good sign if you're a Predators fan who wants them to make a move on John Hines. Uh, certainly Carberry was in the playoffs up until just last week, so you could not reach out and contact him. I am curious what the interim tag for, for Barry Trotz does to his ability to reach out. Maybe he's more allowed to sort of just text him and be like, hey, dude, uh, we might make a move. We might not. I don't know. Here's all that you need to know about Spencer Carberry. If you are going to hire him and you think he's the guy for the job long term for the National Predators, this is the only chance you're going to get to do it. Because this is it. He, he's going to get a job this year. And if he doesn't, he's either going to be a failure and a retread or you're not going to be able to hire him. So if you want him, Barry Trotz, Preds fans, this is your chance to do it. You have to do it this offseason. Yeah, he's not going to he's not going to be there next year. I believe he was a finalist for the Bruins head coaching job last or at the beginning of the season before they hired Jim Montgomery. Uh, I believe he interviewed with a couple other teams with their head coaching vacancy the last the last coaching cycle. Um word out is as now he is he's kind of the number one priority for the Washington Capitals. Uh Jared on on Washington Hockey Now has has covered this the last week or so about how i mean it just makes sense he he coached their echl affiliate he coached their ahl affiliate like he knows the capitals organization it would make sense that they would want to go out and get him i think the san jose sharks or was that who, who you mentioned earlier yeah san jose's yep yep uh looking looking at carberry too he's a hot commodity and he and he should be the dude is a proven winner he was the coach of the year in the echl he was the coach of the year in the ahl and I think Toronto kind of recognized that he was kind of an up and comer, which is why they hired him as an assistant coach. Um, and he could be a possibility in Toronto. If Sheldon Keefe isn't brought back, I mean, Toronto could just promote Spencer Carberry there. That would make sense as well. Um, but Barry Trotz does have a history with him. Um, and, and this really kind of, this all stemmed last week when Robbie had Barry Trotz on, on his radio show. Um, and he asked him about John Hines' future. And again, he was noncommittal. And he said, everybody is going to be evaluated. I'm also going to evaluate other organizations, too. If I can improve on any aspect of our organization, be it coaching or development, I'm going to try and do that. And what that told me is the reason we haven't heard anything on John Hines' future is because he's just kind of a placeholder right now because there are are coaches in the playoffs that Barry Trotz at that point in time wanted to interview and Spencer Carberry was at the top of the list. Asking around, talking to some people, I, I was told in a very vague nonchalant <laughs> way that that if the predators were to make a change that spencer carberry would probably be the front runner because of his history with barry trotz how familiar he is the fact that he is this this coach on the rise and, and all you need to know about spencer carberry is he coached the toronto maple Leafs power play the last two years they were ranked number one two years ago and they're ranked number two this year if you don't think that hiring a coach with that kind of capability is something that the national predators need then i can't help you he would Carberry would be a great hire. Adam mentioned it before. It's kind of making the way the way around again this time. And now, now Toronto's out of the playoffs. Now all bets are off. If if Trotz wants to call him up and engage his interest, I mean, and this could be a slow play. Carberry knows that he's kind of a hot commodity. He could make he could maybe want to play the field, see what teams have to offer. I mean, he's probably looking at the draft picks and stuff, and he's like, okay, Nashville's got 13 draft picks, two in the first round. That's an appealing situation with some of the talent they have going to Washington. He obviously knows those players and those prospects really well. Like he's in a really good position, I think. And like you mentioned earlier, if you, if Barry Trotz is convinced Spencer Carberry is the guy to lead this team and develop the prospects and bring them out of the funk that they're in and bring them back to being a cup contender, this is the year you do it because he's not going to be here next year. So here's the other angle to all this. David Poyle's the general manager until June 30th. Not Barry Trotz. Uh, it, can Barry Trotz even legally extend an offer, or is it going to go through David Poyle? Here's what I would say: I, I don't imagine that David Poyle wants his final thing that he does. I, I mean, maybe maybe it's the draft as his final thing because it's it's right there two days before he retires, so he's going to be in charge of the draft in theory with Barry Trotz. Maybe he's a figurehead. We don't know exactly. I'm assuming they're just working as much as they can together to to. And, and I'm, I would hope that Barry Trotz has final say on things. You know, you know how like a couple different people work on a story. Somebody has to have final edit, right? <laughs> I, I think hopefully yeah. I am hopeful that Barry Trotz is the one that has final edit right now. But I'm curious if you think that dynamic affects this decision. Like, does David Poyle want to be the guy who fires John Hines? Or do they put some sort of agreement in place with Carberry and they say, all right, well, on July 1st, 
we will announce that that we have released John Hines from his final year of his contract, and Spencer Carberry has been hired as the coach. Can you can you even legally do that? I, I don't know. I, I I don't know. Yeah, I'm not I'm not sure how the the legality of all that works because technically David Poyle is the general manager until June was it June 30th? June 30th. Um, yep. So I'm not I'm not exactly sure how the semantics of, of that relationship work, but I I would I would be hard pressed to believe that if Barry Trotz went to David Poyle and said, I want Spencer Carberry as my head coach, that that Poyle would stand in the way and refuse to fire John Hines. Because if he doesn't do that, he can do that as soon as David Poyle just steps out of office. I mean, and he's wanting to set Trotz up for success, which is why he traded the the players he did and acquired the draft capital, all that stuff. If he's wanting to set Trotz up for success and really kind of pass the torch to him and, and leave him in a good position, yeah, it may technically be David Poyle's final move is firing John Hines and bringing in a new head coach. One, that might not be a bad thing for David Poyle's legacy, considering how much John Hines is hated in the city. And two, I just don't understand why that would be a bad thing. Like Barry Trotz would be getting his guy. You'd be really hitting reset and refreshing and starting over brand new. It's what the fans yeah. have wanted for the last two or three years. I just I would have a hard time believing David Poyle would stand in, in Barry's way if that's really what he wanted to do. I, I, I agree with you. I also don't think it's very fair to John Hines. Honestly, I, I don't think it's fair to John Hines to leave him hanging in the wind for months while you have this orchestrated coup thing that you're planning for July 1st. Exactly. I, 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 I don't, I don't think that's fair to him. If he's going to be in the running for any other of these potential head coach openings, you would think most of those teams want to have that that vacancy filled before the draft because you want your new head right. coach involved in the process of picking your, of getting your draft picks. It, it would be very unfair if they did that to John Hines. I can't see that happening. I think if 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 something is going to happen, it's going to be probably in the next two or three weeks because you do want as much as you can in June. You want your head coach to be involved in the scouting meetings, everything that's going on with the scouting department, because this is big. 13 draft picks. This could potentially set up the entire future of this franchise based off of this draft. Well, what I find even more interesting, you said a couple of weeks. Like I feel like the time is sort of now, though. Like, and and I'm trying to. I mean, in two weeks, not not like three or four. I mean, within the next two weeks. So I was. Ch- I'm I'm pulling this up just to double check the actual date of the game. Like, they were eliminated from the postseason on Friday, May 12th. So we we are talking at time of taping five days. I don't yeah. think it's been long enough for. I mean, maybe 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 it should only take two days for Barry Trotz slash David Poyle to make the request to Toronto to have the conversation. Again, we these are human beings. This is what I say with like the transfer portal and free agency, and everyone's like, "Oh, tampering, tampering." I'm like, no, they all have cell phones. They can, they're all buddies. They can text. If you don't think Barry Trotz can text Spencer Carberry, uh, albeit that would be t- tampering of some sort. But once the season's over, if he can't like text the GM of the Leafs and say, "Hey, can I talk to Spencer?" He goes, "Yes." He talks to Spencer. Are you interested in the head coaching job? He should already know how interested he is in the job. And if he gets yeah. a yes or not, or if Carberry's like, no, I need some time to think about this, in which case you then can't make a move on John Hines. But we're at five days right now at time of taping. I, I would imagine that it should not take much, many more days. I, you say two or three, maybe two weeks. I, I would like to think that if they're going to do something with this particular person, I, Carberry needs his time to think, needs his time to decompress, needs his time to evaluate all of his options. But he should know everything he needs to know about this Nashville situation to to, to let Barry Trotz know in some sort of under-the-radar way, yes, I would take it, no, I wouldn't, and therefore Barry can make his decision. I, I don't know if there's other candidates, but there's no reason for John Hines to still be employed Unless it's a still a name that's an assistant coach on one of these four teams that's still playing. And that, that's that was going to be my next point. While I was told Spencer Carberry probably is the favorite, and again, that's worded in such a vague way that it could be true, it could be not true, who knows. Right. While I have been told that Carberry is the presumed front runner, if they were to make a change, we don't know that he's the only coach that is in the playoffs that he's wanting to talk to. I mean, Seattle, uh, Jay Leach in Seattle, they just were eliminated too. Um, that came a little bit after Toronto was eliminated. I mean, he's someone who is very much in the running to be a, a head coach next year as well. He's another hot commodity too. So he, he could have been wanting to talk to him. There could be someone on the Carolina Hurricane. Like, we don't know. There, there's there's still four teams left. There could be an assistant coach on one of those rosters that Barry wants to talk to. We're, we're not entirely sure. But, I mean, and again, I the, it, it all comes down to, does Spencer Carberry, he's going to get a head coaching job. Which job does he want? Because you could argue the other teams that are firing their head coach, they're really bad. 
They may have higher draft picks, but it's also probably a worse situation to come to than Nashville, which could be competitive next year with the right pieces in place. You have Barry Trotz, who you're familiar with. The argument could be made that Nashville is probably a better a better landing spot for Carberry over, I don't know, San Jose or Washington or, or whoever. Uh, Andrew Brunette, of course, uh, who is an assistant with the Devils, also recently eliminated, is also a hot commodity, uh, and of course had a season in Nashville back in 1999. So. That would be that would be a solid choice too. Although I've been I've been seeing reports that he doesn't want to be a head coach; he just wants to stick with doing the assistant stuff for now. So, so and I was this was Emily Kaplan, I believe, wrote this on ESPN. He called she called Carberry the buzziest name on the coaching circuit, and that was before he even got to Toronto. He's only 41 years old. Uh, of course, yeah. Brunette, Brunette would be another one. You mentioned Jay Leach. He was on this list as well. Uh, would be another guy I'd look at. I, th- I think if Barry were to go, were to make a change, he, would, he wouldn't want to retread. I think he would want to get someone who is either a first-time yeah. head coach or someone that maybe isn't ready but could be ready in a year or two. So Brian Wilson would make a lot of sense. I mean, Carberry makes a lot of sense. There, there's a lot of guys that theoretically could do this job. I guess, I guess the thing that, that Barry has to decide is, is the potential payoff better than what John Hines can give you this year? Because I, I think I think the consensus is John Hines isn't the guy to lead this team to the Stanley Cup. And if he's not the guy to lead this team to the Stanley Cup, then what are you waiting for? Yeah, I, I that's that's my issue is and and, I, and frankly, you're not treating Hines all that fairly by letting him hang in the wind for much longer. It's okay to get to this point because you may have three candidates that just got eliminated in the second round, and you're like, okay, that's okay. I'm okay with these three guys. Like we, hey, John. These are our three candidates. We're going to have talks with them, but we can't do it until after they've been eliminated. I, you know, but again, is it <laughs> what you're saying to John then in, in even not even having a conversation about this? It's just natural. Like people like us sit around and go, well, I guess they're, they're just waiting to hear if they can get a yes from one of their two or three candidates. And if they get a no, they're just going to stick with John. Like, that's not exactly a place that John, if I'm John Hines, do I want that? Like, probably not, you know? Um, yeah. Now, now, do you keep an NHL head coaching job because there's only 32 of them? Sure, of course. Uh, but it does tie into the next topic a little bit. So I, I think the point is, is that some of these other guys may not get jobs. You maybe could wait on Andrew Burnett, for example, for, for next year. But if you believe that Spencer Carberry is the head coach that can take Nashville to the promised land, this is your only chance to get him. And that's it. I don't know if the answer is yes or no. I just know this is your only chance to get him, which ties indirectly to... Uh, a topic that you were all in the menchies on. And this is all about trading for one of Toronto's big names. Primarily, I think we should focus on Austin Matthews. I do not think the other three are worth trading UC Soros for because I don't think they change the direction of the franchise the way Austin Matthews would. He is due $11.6 million this year, and then he's an unrestricted free agent. The 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 top two contracts in the NHL, Connor McDavid, 12.5. Nathan McKinnon, 12.6, I believe. So you're probably looking at a $13 million AAV for Austin Matthews starting the following season. You cannot trade for him without ha- having some sort of extension talks or or understanding that you're going to extend him, in my opinion. Um, my question first, though, is more about the strategy, and this maybe ties into Spencer Carberry because he knows Austin Matthews and he knows the franchise, where Nashville's at. Do you make, if you're trading UC Soros, should your goal be to acquire a generational talent like Austin Matthews that's going to cost you a lot of money, huge percentage of your salary salary cap, albeit with Johansson maybe rolling off one, one year later, with the cap going up as well? Or do you trade UC Soros to continue to add rebuilding blocks, rebuilding pieces, trade him for more first-round picks, prospects, to, con- to sort of continue to reset the franchise for another season. That to me is the strategy question. The predators have to ask themselves or any fans. If you're discussing a trade with UC Soros, it's not which player you should go get to me. It's Austin Matthews or bust. Maybe, maybe there's another guy you can throw out there, but it's, it's, should it be a player that helps you win today or should it be a bunch of assets that help you win tomorrow? That to me is the question around UC Soros. Yeah, and I don't I don't think you can go wrong either way. I think if you trade Saros and you bring back a game-changing player, most likely a forward, that can help you win now. Kevin Lankinen is is decent enough to get you through next year and and get you to the playoffs. Assuming that maybe, maybe that bridges the gap from to to Yuroslav Askarov taking over two years from now. Um 
But I, I think if you're trading Saros, it's more feasible you're going to bring back draft picks and prospects than you are going to bring back a roster player that will make a difference. And and Robbie posed this question yesterday. Um, I believe he said, threw this around on, on the show, wanted to get people to weigh in. Should the Preds have interest in pursuing one of Toronto's core four, Austin Matthews, William Nylander, Mitch Marner, or John Tavares? And would you consider UC Saros as a piece to help make that happen? Yeah. And I, I quote tweeted that, and I said, if you're Nashville, Saros as a centerpiece for a trade for Austin Matthews, you absolutely consider it. And I said, Tavares is a no. And then Nylander and Marner, they're intriguing, but I probably wouldn't pull the trigger just because I just don't think the trade would work out. And then I had people in Toronto, all in the mentions, blowing me up, telling me why I'm stupid, why it was a bad idea. And look, if, it, <laughs> if this if this deal happens, I, I by no means was suggesting it would be a one-for-one. If you're trading for Austin Matthews, it's going to cost you UC Saros. It's going to cost you Luke Evangelista. It's going to cost you Philip Tomasino. It's going to cost you Yuso Parson. It's going to cost you at least two or three first-round draft. It's going to cost Nashville a lot yep. to pull that trade off because Austin Matthews is one of those generational players. However, Austin Matthews said he wants to re-sign in Toronto and he doesn't want to go anywhere. That, to me, ends that discussion because he wants to be there. Toronto wants to keep him. Why, why would they get rid of him? So... If you're cha- if you're trading for a player of Austin Matthews caliber and you can trade Saros and a couple other pieces and do it, then I would. I just don't see it happening. If you do trade Saros and you're bringing back a Hall of Draft picks and prospects, that's a lot easier to pull off. And I think it's more feasible that the Predators would would probably pull that yes. kind of off if they were going full rebuild. But I think they the, the organizations committed to were not in rebuild mode. We're in reset mode. I think they're going to clear off some pieces, promote some guys from the AHL maybe make a trade or sign a free agent or two. And I think they're going to make another run at this thing next year with, with, a, with the same I, I agree. core of like four guys, but with a different supporting cast around that core and see how it goes. And I think based off of how next season goes, Barry Trotz will know, okay, we need to blow this thing up and restart it. Hence trading Saros maybe next year, or we have a good group. or just a piece or two away. We need to figure out how to find that game-changing score that this team hasn't had. Uh, Mitch Marner, 25 years old, plays wing, 99 points this year. William Nylander, 26 years old, 87 points this year. Austin Matthews, 25 years old, 85 points this year. I think Austin Matthews is the best player of the group. And he, and oh, again, sure. and again I, I would prefer a centerman over a winger as well, if that's if that's an important thing here for this Predators team. Um, I, I personally, be, I, I think you're exactly right. It's it's certainly going to cost you more than Soros. Soros is the centerpiece and required in terms of trying to go get one of those pieces. So I, you know, I think that's how it should be framed. It's like, no, 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 you have to give up your best player, your best asset, and your best asset is UC Soros. And then you need to give up more. I, if I'm Toronto, I have no desire to make that trade, honestly. So if I'm the Preds, it is like, sure, you might be able to, like John Tavares, 20 or 32 years old, I'm not going to get him for UC Soros. Yeah, if, they, if they were one piece away, maybe, but they're not. They're a bunch of pieces away, which also leads me to think, that if you move UC Soros, I, fans, you have the succession. We've talked about this so many times. There, there is a succession plan for him. Lincoln is fine for the for in the short term. Sure, it'd be nice to have Connor Ingram, but whatever. Um, you, you go get like a first, like two first round picks and two prospects for UC Soros, and then you have three drafts in a row where you are loading up on talent. You stock your farm system, and then in in after two questionable seasons, let's call it. That is when you have a chance to really launch into the stratosphere with a core nucleus of players that you have been building for years. It is how Colorado won a cup. It is how the Lightning won a cup. It is how everybody has done this. That we've seen these rebuilds, when they work, they work because of the Chicago. High-level talent, stockpiling for years, playing bad hockey, then winning cups. Yes, also covering up assault. Don't forget about that. Um, So I don't... To me, the Matthews thing, while it would be unbelievable to have a player of Austin Matthews caliber in a, in a Predator sweater, unlike any other player in the history of the franchise, sells tickets immediately, could score 50 goals. I, 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 don't, see, I, I don't see making the, the big move make sense for the Predators' future because um, it, it doesn't help you win right away because you're losing Soros. If you lose Soros, you're not going to win as much. <laughs> that's, that's it. So if you're yeah. gonna lose, if you're gonna trade Saros and not win as much, why not get future assets so that you can continue to stockpile the cupboard? I I don't know. That's that, that's how I see it. I, I have team- no I have no problem trading Saros. I just don't. I'm not sure I want it to be for a singular star player. That's going to cost yeah. you a fortune. And the teams that have that star player, most of them are 
are either decent in goal or have good goaltending. Um, so while Saros is a Vezina caliber goalie, you rarely see Vezina caliber goalies traded for an Austin Matthews type player, like right. generational top six players. It just, it rarely happens. I think if you trade Saros, a team like the Buffalo Sabres probably makes sense because you could get a first round pick, probably one or two first round picks. And they have a lot of good forwards on the roster, like Jack Quinn, Dylan Cousins, Casey Middlestat, guys like that. They also have a stock farm system with Matthew Savoie, Yuri Coolidge, Noah Oslin. I mean, they have, they have, really good talented game breaking forwards a team like that makes more sense because Bo- or, uh, buffalo really needs a goaltender they have devin levi who is a really hot prospect but he's probably two years away from playing in the nhl i i think a team like that makes sense because they have the draft capital and they have the high quality high caliber prospects that it would take to to trade a, a uc stars type player toronto i mean look Matthews, Austin Matthews basically is saying he's not going anywhere. All, all of them have said they want to they come back. But the reality is, I think Nylander has one more year in his contract. He's the cheapest of the, um, I think his salary is like $6.9 million a year. He's probably the most attainable, and he would make sense. I mean, he's, I think he's what, 26, 27, somewhere in there. Um, 40 goals this year, 87 points, 34 goals last year. I, I just I have a hard time seeing Toronto trading guys like that. And also something to keep in mind too, Mitch Marner has a, a no trade clause that kicks in on July 1st. So if anything happens with him, it's gonna have to happen within the next month and a half. So I, I again it's 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 a pipe dream. It's fun to sit here and think about what could be. But if UC Saros is traded and I'm 99% sure he's not going to be this year, right. if he is traded, it would be for draft picks and prospects just because I, I don't see yeah. a team giving up those kind of impact players for for a 28-year-old goalie. So here's another here's another uh, thing to consider. Uh, where are currently Linus Olmark, Ilya Sorokin, and Connor Hellebuck, the three Vesna finalists? Where are they all right now? At home, sitting at home. And it's not to say that great goaltending, great goaltenders don't win cups like quarterbacks in the NFL. They do, and but but not nearly at the rate as as the quarterback does in the NFL, because you can just find a guy who gets hot and go deep on a in, in a cup run. Who's the best goal? Is Jake Ottinger the best goaltender still available in in the in the playoffs right now? Yeah, I mean, I'd put him one A and Bobrovsky one B. Bobrovsky's pretty good. He's had some he's had some some crazy good. He's had some really good seasons. But the point is, is that you can kind of find you can find those guys. Like you can find those guys. And so I I I don't know. Like I I to me all you, all you need to know is the chicago blackhawks won a damn stanley cup with Corey crawford as their goaltender <laughs> right. you don't need elite goaltending to win a stanley cup you need elite scoring and elite defense yeah uh, it helps to have a, a hot goaltender but he doesn't have to be elite um that that is for sure yeah, Which brings- i mean we've seen jonathan quick carry the kings to a cup like yes that can happen but that's more of the exception to the rule and not the rule right. you right. don't need elite goaltending to win stanley cups uh, which, of course, brings us to the final four in the NHL. Dallas versus Vegas in the Western Conference. Carolina versus Florida. I want to know who Predators fans should be rooting for. And is it good for the sport that we have all these non-traditional Southern markets represented? Um, because I think you could argue, you know, our argument has all along been, you know, Connor McDavid on a big stage in Madison Square Garden or against Toronto creates a ton of interest and drives interest in the sport, makes more money, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but also there's a, a real value proposition for Gary Bettman, who's very heavily invested in these sort of quote unquote Southern expansion markets, which are all <clears throat> technically a part of this final four here. So we'll get to all of that. But first, Michael Gallagher, the gold standard is a podcast about the Nashville Predators. And it is brought to you by our amazing and wonderful friends at Jaspers. All right. You're sitting at Jaspers. You're having a burger, some fries, drinking a couple beers, and you are. And let's say the two games are on at the same time, which we know is not going to happen. But let's say the games are happening: Dallas and Vegas, Carolina and Florida. Go to Jasper's. Parking is free. You don't have to pay for parking. Got the game room. You're drinking good beer. You're eating good food. You're watching these two, these four teams. Which one, as a Preds fan, pisses you off the least? Because there's not one that makes you happy. There's not one that you're rooting for. Seattle was the only one that was left that I was like, I would like to see them keep going. But like of the four, which one do you, as a Preds fan, make the case for which one you hate the least? You're sitting at Jasper's, you're watching the game. Which one is palatable? Which one goes with your beautiful fries and your and your delicious beer? 
Which which game do I hate the least? No, which which team? Which one are you rooting for to win oh. the whole to win the whole thing? Uh, it's got to be the Florida Panthers, man. And I I hate to admit that, and I would like to apologize to Panthers fans because I think I said two or three weeks ago on this same podcast that the worst thing for the NHL would be a Stanley Cup of the Winnipeg Jets and the Florida Panthers, and I still <laughs> believe that because I don't think Winnipeg is all that good. But I mean. For the, for the Panthers to go in and knock out the Boston Bruins and then the Toronto Maple Leafs, and we don't know how they're going to fare against the Hurricanes, and the Hurricanes are a really good team. But if you could knock off the Bruins, the Maple Leafs, and the Hurricanes to get to the Stanley Cup, you deserve to win the damn thing. And I think because the Panthers weren't that far, there wasn't like they were roughly a few points better than the Predators were. So I think if you're the Predators, you root for them as the underdog because that's that's where you were in 2016, 2017. Vegas is just kind of they were given the unfair advantage in the draft and they've just been good from the jump. Dallas is a, is a hated division rival. The Hurricanes knocked you out of the playoffs a couple of years ago. I think it's got to be Florida. I well, and and we'll get to this in just a second when it comes to the teams that are are sort of quote unquote worth it. Um, I or, or sorry, deserving of being there. Uh, so number like the the one that would make me take a shot at the the bar at Jasper's, the one that would immediately make me. Want to drink like Malort? Shout out Chicago. Uh, one of the most disgusting things I've ever tasted in my entire life. I tasted it a couple weeks ago for for the last time. In fact, I, I think it's so disgusting. Jasper would never put Malort on the menu. But the one that would taste like 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 Malort watching would be Dallas. So Dallas is clearly the the last place team, right? Like no question about that. Yeah, everybody hates Dallas. Uh, they went ninety nine, won the cup, lost in two thousand, lost in two thousand twenty. If anyone forgot <laughs> that they went to the cup final during the bubble year. Um, Carolina, because they played a series against the Predators and are kind of annoying, I understand Carolina sort of being closer to Dallas, but at the same time, they are a really fun team to watch, right? I, I, they, they went, of course, in 02, they lost in the Stanley Cup, 06, they won. So only two of these four have won a cup and only twice all time and not since 2006. So we've got a, a, a pretty new product in the finals, no matter what happens. Florida, of course, went 96. That was the, the Patrick Waugh, John Van Beesbrook matchup, and they, and they lost. That was their third season. And, of course, Vegas went in 2018, their first season. By the way, it's nuts that they're on like their sixth season, by the way. <laughs> I can't believe the Vegas Golden Knights have been in the NHL as long as they have already. Um, I think it's Vegas. Been to the conference final, I believe, three times in those six years. <laughs> Nuts. I I think it's Vegas, honestly. It, not like partly because it's a new it's a new thing, and it's not a division rival. I like I'm okay rooting for the Western Conference in some weird, sick and twisted way. Um, but I think I'm kind of rooting for Vegas. Like you know, you got Eichel in there, right? You got all these players that are easy to like, kind of easy to root for. There's certainly some players that are easy to root against. Oh, I don't think Jack Eichel is easy to root for at all. Oh, okay. I, I don't. I, I think he's been through a lot, but uh, I, I see what you're saying. Um, he also brought a lot on himself. That's fair. That's fair. I, I have some friends that work for the Sabers, and I've heard some things that have kind of distorted my view of Jack Eichel. Oh, that's not, that's but, not good. That's not good. <laughs> um, I, to me, it's Vegas. Florida is just so like, eh. <laughs> like I have zero emotions, positive or negative, towards the Florida Panthers. Like I mean, if you're a Preds fan and you there. have a reason to root against the Panthers, how about the fact that they stole Matthew Kachuk away from you, even though you were never going to trade for him in the first place? Yeah, see, that's the thing. They never really were in on that, so I don't really feel bad about that. Or, how, or about, how, about, how about the fact that they drafted Alexander Barkov in the draft that you ended up with Seth Jones, and Barkov was the guy that the Predators wanted? There, there you go. There's a legit reason. <laughs> right. they, they took your franchise-changing center away from you and gave you Seth Jones. <laughs> Yeah, so they got Ryan Johansson. That's what they. That's what I just heard. Who led them to a cup? Um, final, final appearance, I should say. Uh, I don't know. I think it's Vegas, dude. I, 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 I and I kind of like from for to be honest with you, Vegas Carolina is the matchup I want to see because I think it would be the best quality hockey of the group. Like I, the, the, Dallas uh, yeah, is Dallas is very good. Dallas is very good. They're very deserving. And to your point about Florida, like when you beat the teams that you've beaten, Boston and Toronto, and then Carolina. There's no question you have earned every cent of what you've accomplished this postseason. There's no question. All and frankly, all four of these teams, and this is a good go to Jaspers. This is a good transition into sort of like the other conversation, which is about the non-traditional markets. But 
all four of these teams are deserving. Vegas and Carolina won their divisions. Dallas was basically the best team in the division for most of the season, except for the last couple of weeks. And Florida will have won as many, beaten the best team in regular season history, and then Toronto, and then Carolina. So no matter what happens, these teams are deserving of being in the cup final. Like, this is not a bunch of fluky, like, come out of nowhere, bad story where we're going to get, like, an eight and a nine seed in NCAA tournament. Like, these are all very deserving teams. Um, But Vegas-Carolina, to me, would be the most entertaining matchup from, like, a skill, speed, back and forth, offense kind of style, if that makes sense. I feel like Vegas and Carolina is the most well-rounded, balanced matchup. And I think think all teams have, all four of the teams have, like, things to root for, things that, like, very deserving. Like, the Panthers have the whole Cinderella aspect of it. Carolina is probably the most sound team in the playoffs. Vegas is... Still new. They've gotten to the conference final. They never. They didn't. They've gotten to a Stanley Cup. They've never won. There's still the novelty of being a new team and being in Vegas. And this might just be my own personal opinion. I don't feel like, other than the 17,000 people that pack the Dallas Stars arena, I don't feel like outside of the arena, the city of Dallas really cares about the Stars. I, that, I just. That's an interesting point. I just. If, does if Miami? Then, does Miami? Does whatever it is, sunshine, sunset, Florida, actually care about the Panthers? Probably not, but if they make it to a cup, I, I think they I think they will care. If if the stars make it to another cup, I just don't think anyone outside of the Dallas Stars arena is really going to care because it's a football city. It's a football town. Yeah. That's what people love. And like we saw when the Predators made the made the Stanley Cup final, how crazy that was. I cannot imagine Dallas doing that for the stars. Granted, the stars have been around longer, they've been to a couple cups, whatever. I I just don't think that Dallas has embraced the stars like other some of these other southern newer markets have embraced their team. So that's I, I'll digress there. Yeah, I, I think that's a good take. I think that's a good take. Uh, I will say this. Unfortunately, Michael, the best uniform game, the best sweater matchup in the Stanley Cup will probably be Carolina Dallas. Right. I think that would be the be- like the green and the red and the contrast. Always want contrast on a good uh, on a hockey game. Um, I don't know. Florida Dallas, I guess, would be OK. I feel like even though Vegas Carolina is the best matchup. Uh, aesthetically, I don't know if the Vegas Carolina uniform matchup would be great. Maybe, maybe it's fine. Maybe I'm overreacting. I do feel like Carolina Dallas would be the best look if you're talking just uniforms. Yeah, I'm. I'm a little sad we were robbed of the uh, Seattle Kraken in the Stanley Cup final. That would have been. I, I just, I'm a huge fan of Seattle uniforms, but yeah, I mean, I don't know. Dallas's are. They're fine. They're they're a little bit of a visual assault on the eyeballs, though. That green is very overpowering. But if you are going to have that color green, I guess the red of the hurricanes kind of yeah. balances it out. Vegas's uniforms aren't bad. Florida's are kind of ugly. I'm not a, I not a not a big fan of the Panthers uniforms. It's just there's something about mixing like a, a navy blue with a bright red that just really <laughs> irks me. And I hate that that is the uniform of, of, of a professional hockey team. It just bothers me. <laughs> I, I kind of agree. I will say I actually like the um, the Kelly Green Dallas Stars better than like the old darker like ones. I kind of like the Kelly, like a little bit brighter green because it looks, I don't know, it's kind of more, it feels more vintage and more retro-y, I guess, but maybe that's why I like it. But I do not like anything about the Dallas Stars, so, so I can't say anything positive about them on the show today. Um, I, I do think Vegas, Carolina, even that's the, that's the, that's the best matchup. And you could probably argue pretty good. You, that's a pretty good sweater matchup. No question. So I guess that, that brings us to like the, this debate. And I guess it's been all over the internet. Even I noticed myself tweeting like, Hey, this is like the southernmost team, the third most southernmost team, the seventh, like all, all four of these teams below the Mason Dixon line, all very much, uh, Southern markets, all very, you know, you've got, uh, what the Kings, you've got, uh, Arizona, you got Nashville in there. You got Tampa Bay, and who am I missing? Anaheim. Like those are all the, the the nine most southern franchises in in the in the sport, and you know four of them are represented here. We, we know, ironically, by the way, thirty years since Canada has won a cup, uh, thirty years since Gary Bettman has been has been NHL uh, commissioner. Very also very mixed reviews on Gary Bettman's tenure, but the league has made money. It has stayed together. They have expanded to 32 teams. He has expanded the league into the South. And I think I've come around on this being better for the sport than people realize that to give some non-traditional markets some love is actually a pretty solid thing to continue to like entrench the fandoms in different markets you don't need that help. It may not be good for TV as good for TV ratings, but you don't need that help in Toronto, like Edmonton, Chicago, like the fan bases are pretty entrenched. 
Florida probably needs a little bit more entrenching. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I kind of view this situation like Major League Baseball. Everybody hates the Yankees because the Yankees used to win all the time and everyone got tired of seeing the same team win. I feel like in the NHL, getting Southern markets involved, getting more of these non-traditional teams, getting them in there and involved and seeing a team like the Florida Panthers go on a Cinderella run to the conference finals, seeing Vegas, Seattle, expansion teams like that, seeing them play well. I don't want to say Seattle playing well from the beginning because last season was bad, but seeing them play well and get off to good starts, I think it's better for the league because people don't like seeing the same people or the same teams win constantly all the time. And I think that's, that's good to have like, yeah, you're always going to have your teams like the Bruins and the Red Wings used to be one of those teams and the Penguins were up until this year that are always in the playoffs. They're always vying for cups and stuff like that. But getting more non-traditional markets involved is good because you're exposing a whole new segment of people, bringing in more casual fans and bringing in people that aren't even fans to begin with and getting them involved in the game. And I think that's just really what the, what the game is about and what the NHL should be about is growing the game and getting more people involved. So I think I think it's a good thing. I think it is too. That's seven combined total Stanley Cup trips by all four franchises. Like that's that's like that's like just Boston. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like they they they're they're all kind of new ish. You had Hartford go to Carolina, right? You had Florida come around in what what was it, ninety four, I think. Dallas was what, the North Stars, right? And then Vegas yeah. is Vegas is pretty new. So you like you just you have young Im- immature, not in the sense of like acting like a bunch of assholes. I mean, immature as in like, just they haven't fully been around for 80 years to build fans the way, you know, Toronto and Chicago and Philadelphia and the original six have like you just it takes time. It takes generations of people to grow up. We talk about this with the Preds all the time. Like, not only did the cup come around and entrench Predators hockey as Smashville and turn this market into a hockey market, but it was it also came around when anyone who was born in the mid 90s who grew up with the Preds team as like a staple of our community, all of a sudden they were in their more most formative years, right? Like they're high schoolers and college kids and like middle schoolers. It is a younger generation that learns that Predators hockey is very important to our community. So if you're a 15-year-old kid in Raleigh or a 15-year-old kid in Miami or even, you know, young kids in Vegas, like it, it is now becoming a part of another generation. And that's important. That's to your point, like why Dallas is kind of like, eh. <laughs> yeah, they're pretty mad. But but like this, these four franchises have combined for seven trips to the cup and have only won two championships in like a combined, I don't know, um I, I have I don't have the math in front of me, but probably you're talking like 65, 70 years of hockey, two championships. So it hasn't it just hasn't been entrenched enough yet. And I think that's what makes this part this part of the argument, I think, good for the NHL. Um is it good for TV ratings to have Florida and Dallas playing in the championship. I, I don't know that I, you know. Yeah, that, but how how great were the ratings before that happened anyway? So <laughs> wow, wow, just deadpanning the entire sport. Um, I no, I, did I, I love I love the sport of hockey, and I I hate that people don't consider the NHL part of the Big Four anymore. It used to be the NFL, the NBA, MLB, and NHL, and now people don't even consider the NHL. Dude. It's the Big Three. I hear a lot of people Who says that. There's a lot of people in the national media that say that. I think it's just the national perception that the NHL is is a less than league than baseball, football, and basketball. Well, but that would still make it a part of it. It is absolutely one of the core four. The M- MLS, oh, M- MLS has not jumped I- anything. The XFL, you know, the WNBA is growing like crazy, and, and it's awesome that it's happening, but they are not bigger than the, the NHL. The average NHL franchise is worth like $600 million. That They are far and away ahead of every other team sport. Now, if you're talking national ratings, <coughs> excuse me, I think you could argue that golf is sort of in- encroaching on a lot of this, but I would say that golf is like regular season NBA games aren't getting TV ratings like the Masters. Regular season baseball games aren't getting TV ratings like the Masters. We're talking about the Masters versus the NHL Finals, the NBA Finals, or the World Series. I, I think you could maybe argue that maybe golf has taken as pa- past hockey. I'd love to go see that. I know that the ratings are higher for the Masters in Nashville than the Stanley Cup final is. There's no question about that. But from a team sport standpoint, it's not even close. It's still number. It's still top four. It's number four, but it's still top four in my opinion. Oh, I, I agree. But but the point I was making is I think the national perception is that hockey 
that people don't care about hockey as much as they do the big three. And that, and that to a degree is true, but I still think hockey, any kind of exposure for the NHL, regardless of who's playing in the Stanley cup final is good for the NHL. It's still a multi-million dollar sports hub. So I just, I, yeah. I, I'm not saying I believe that I'm just saying I've heard a lot of people recently say that. And I think that, I mean, look, the, the broadcast stuff on ESPN, that could be done a lot better. The stuff on TNT could be done a lot better. Like there's things the NHL could step in and do, make the product better on and, and help drive ratings. But yes, Dallas you, versus Florida probably isn't going to be a big ratings driver for the NHL in the Stanley Cup final. And, and obviously Miami is a much bigger market than Raleigh, but I do feel like Carolina is a more marketable product. Like they just have more stuff. I mean, I know I know uh, Kachuk is down there with, with Florida and that's a different, he's a different level star, US player. I get all of that, but there's some star power for, for Carolina, their style of play, they're the number one seed. Like maybe I'm maybe I'm overplaying that. Maybe the Cinderella story packaged with the great U.S. player is good for ratings, and maybe I'm wrong on that. I, I don't know. Uh, I, I'm assuming that TV executives want Vegas versus Carolina. I'm assuming. Yeah, that's what they want. But maybe yeah, I'm wrong. It makes sense from for a market standpoint, and just one better quality of matchup in the final, and two, how much money can be made you're probably going to make your most money Vegas versus Carolina just be just because of Vegas and the markets, yeah. market it's in Carolina and how good of a team they are and how the, the cities kind of embrace them. So, yeah, I think the two arguments are sort of like they're they're almost like different ways to grow the game. Like if you want to grow the game on a grassroots level that sort of endear entrenches a fan base into like a next generation of fans, then you probably want these non-traditional markets to continue to succeed and to be on this stage. Now, would it, do you also want your superstars in your biggest markets to be on the big stage for TV ratings purposes? Yes, but I think that's why a perfect blend of the two is probably what they're rooting for. They probably want Vegas versus Toronto, right? Or like you get you get a, a Canadian team with a superstar in a big market with that's hockey crazy mixed with a new non-traditional southern market that also has some sex appeal, Vegas, right? Like that's probably what they're really rooting for is a combo platter. And to have all four, and to have all four below the Mason Dixon line, probably not what they love. But also, I think it, it it just sort of continues to cement the game as a a national product. Because if you look at the map, man, of of cities in the NHL, it is very it is very isolated into like four different areas. Like there, there's a, and we're about to get to this with Arizona, because there's a lot of teams down in that area of the country, and I'm not sure how many people love hockey down there. You know, there's stuff up there in the Northwest and in Canada. There's a ton in the Northeast, but then there's a lot of flyover country <laughs> that doesn't have any hockey at all. So hockey in new areas, the state, the state of Carolina, the state of Florida, the state of Nevada, um, and Texas. These are good. This is good for hockey to be in to be playing. Yeah. This and the NHL has to be strategic about these areas too. I mean, we've seen hockey fail in Atlanta multiple times. We were seeing hockey fail in Arizona now, and, and I get it. It's the desert. Hockey doesn't really make sense there. But, I mean, the city of Arizona just rejected this $2.1 billion entertainment district, which would have been great, not just for the Coyotes, but for the entire area. And it was rejected just because hockey's not that big in Arizona. Not a lot of people care about the Coyotes. And I, I hate saying that because it's an NHL team and I love the sport and all that, but not a lot of people care. And we're going to get into this, like, the Coyotes, if they do relocate, there are plenty of good options where I think they would be embraced. It would be good for the NHL to get the Coyotes out of Arizona. So this this story about Arizona is so fascinating to me because I think it, if, if it comes along in three years from now, after all the rebuilding and the draft picks and the selling off and the and all this stuff, and they're pretty good, I bet you that ballot, those ballot measures pass. Now, they, the, if you don't know the story, uh, $2.1 billion entertainment district, $1.9 billion of that privately funded. It was going to include enhancements to like all kinds of stuff. So an entire district with hotels and restaurants and shopping. And it was going to sort of, I think their term was a uh, uh, landfill to landmark, I think was the terminology that they were using to try to, to, to flip this area that they've spent tens of millions of dollars sort of cleaning up to now turn into this big thing. Uh, located and, and, two miles from the major airport that's in the area, by the way, and a new 16,000 seat arena for the hockey team. It just, uh, here, I, here I, it just hurts me. <laughs> so I'm, and and so the the people voted. They had to vote for three propositions or referendums or whatever, and all three of them failed. Oh, and and it also, it would have been privately, like, like you said, one point nine nine billion privately funded. There would have been two hotels, a thirty five hundred person theater, and a residential unit that would have housed close to two thousand people. 
So a ton of stuff that sort of like revitalizes the area, right? Yeah, there would have been, I think I'm reading, there would have been a casino involved as well. Yes. So this would have been great for this entire community to have all of this new influx of job creation and just revenue coming in. Uh, and, and paid for privately, not by your taxes, unlike yeah. our stadium, unlike our stadium. But I, I think what's what's fascinating is the timing of it. And, and, and I part of the reason I'm interested is, you know, certainly there's going to be now. Now the question is, wh- what happens to them? Do they move? And there's a really good chance that they move. And Houston is the top of the list, because frankly, if you look at the NHL map, there's a lot of teams down there in that area. You've got like five or six teams kind of in that area. And and there's just you basically have Colorado and Dallas in like the entire middle of the country. And that's it. And so if you just if they're already in the central division while being the furthest west team, if you move them to Houston, it makes very smart sense geographically. Kansas City would make very smart sense geographically. Houston, though, is a the fourth or third biggest market in the United States. Uh, it's a huge, huge sports town. So it makes a lot of sense. Atlanta's also would be on that list. I think I've seen Quebec City listed as well. That doesn't make as much sense to me. Um, Something does, else that's interesting, Darren Drager tweeted this out, I believe, last night. He said that the Ryan Smith, the owner of the Utah Jazz, has publicly expressed interest in, a, in, an, age, and in an NHL team. Salt Lake City could be a possible relocation, and that still leaves Houston and Atlanta on the table as possible expansion cities in the future. It feels like if you're going to... And, and again, this, they were the former Winnipeg Jets. So we've had a lot of teams move in the NHL and then repopulate, right? Like the North Stars moved to Dallas and then the Wild come back. The Jets come back. We've had a lot of teams, you know, come back because of those brands, a lot of the Cleveland Browns. And what I find interesting is if expansion seems odd to me with their, their current size of the league. It feels like the right size of the league. Yeah. But, but Arizona, again, already being established in the division makes sense to move it Salt Lake City moves it like further west. I feel like, yeah. Um, and well, all further- reports indicate that Salt Lake City is the front runner, and that's kind of what a lot of the insiders are reporting right now. Okay, but given that they are in the Central Division, it doesn't make sense to move them further away from the rest of the Central Division teams that they face on a regular basis. And the, and there's no other team that that even makes sense to switch divisions with them because everybody else is even further west, right? Like, there's not even a team. There's a reason Arizona is in the Central Division. Like <laughs> when Seattle came in. They pushed the one that was closest into that division to Colorado, basically, and that's still far out there. Houston, Kansas City doesn't seem viable to me, uh, but Houston seems like a smart place to put them because it just it, it kind of ties it all together. And frankly, let's be very honest, there there are lots of coyotes in Texas. Okay, lots of coyotes in Texas. So I know it's a stupid thing to say, but like there, it does tie in. I don't I don't know how many coyotes are running around Salt Lake City. I don't know. Maybe there are. Maybe I'm wrong on that. <laughs> Um, either way, what I'm fascinated by is the timing. If this team had been okay, fairly solid, further along down the rebuild process, and they took this vote in three years, you could see an entire franchise's history be different because they voted on the team after like their worst eight year stretch. And that, that is a really interesting dynamic to think about in, in these. This is not like the Red Sox or the, Blackhawks or the Packers where like it doesn't matter how good they are they're never leaving it's it's almost about timing if this vote had taken place when they were good they probably passes and they probably have this brand new like the entire history of the city has changed now because the Coyotes weren't good <laughs> yeah I mean I think you hit the nail on the head if this was three years from now this vote would have been different and the Coyotes have been bad for a while but all those taking on bad contracts and acquiring high draft picks is going to pay off eventually. Clayton Keller just had a 37 goal, 86 point season. He's kind of the the face of that franchise right now. And then you look at the prospect pool. They have a top 10 prospect pool according to the athletic Logan Cooley, uh, Dylan Gunther, Connor Geeky, Victor Sorderstrom, other guys. I can't pronounce their name, but they they have (laughs) a lot of top flight, especially forwards. They have a lot of top flight guys and down the middle too. I mean, you look, Two of their top three prospects are centers. Logan Cooley is going to be a really good player, we believe. Connor Geeky is going to be a really good player, we believe. They have multiple draft picks or multiple uh, first round picks this year as well. Like Arizona is going to get good, and you just you feel bad that this is happening to them right now because the team is in the and probably the the rock bottom part of the rebuild before they ascend back up. And you also feel bad for them too because they just played an entire season in a college hockey arena that seats like five thousand people. 
because they they were holding out hope that this arena thing was going to be be cleared and get done. They're going to be playing in a new arena sometime in the next year or two. It's just it's it's a bad look for I think for Arizona, but it's also you just you feel for everyone involved in the Coyotes organization to, to deal with what they dealt with this year playing in a, in a college arena. Now to to have this hanging over their heads, the guys on the team don't know where they're going to be playing in the next year or two. Is the team going to get sold? Is it going to be moved? All this stuff going on, like it, you just feel for them. They they had a winning record. They were twenty one fifteen and five in front of five thousand seats. Yeah, give them credit for that. I don't know, man. I mean, listen, they weren't a good team. I'm not you saying the, the players' players. credit too, because if I was if I was a professional hockey player and I was told I was going to spend a season playing in front of in front of five thousand people at I believe it was Arizona State Stadium or arena or whatever, I would have been pissed off. And I probably, I don't know how happy I would have been to show up to work every day. So yeah. give them credit for getting through that. Well, apparently they poured money into the facilities to like make them like just have like NHL level locker room. So like the only winner in all of this is like Arizona state's hockey team. Yeah, <laughs> basically, basically either way. I, I Listen, I wouldn't, I wouldn't hate, I don't like moving out of Arizona. Cause I think that's a really big sports town better than people think. It's a little too spread out, and I think they were trying to fix that with this decision. But I do think Houston or Kansas City could make for some really good rivalries within the Central Division. Saint, being that close to St. Louis and Chicago and Nashville and Dallas, I think just really kind of ties the Central Division more together. And I do think that would be good long term moving forward. I, I, you know, Houston. Maybe if you I, have a, if you have a Dallas versus Houston hockey rivalry, maybe that gets more fans involved. It gets more fans out to the Dallas Stars arena. Who knows? Maybe you're right. So just keep an eye on that. Obviously, the future for the Coyotes just totally unknown, but a but an important piece to the NHL Central Division with your Nashville Predators. Okay. Um, other than that, I think we're good. Uh, Michael, what what's everybody got? What, what can they read at Nashville Hockey Now? Yeah, if you go to the website NashvilleHockeyNow.com, we have. The Daily Up, where we're just kind of recapping some of the biggest news around the NHL and some Preds news as well. Reed Schaefer, who they got back from uh, in the from the Oilers and the Matthias Ekholm trade, was just named the WHL Player of the Week. He is getting ready to play in the WHL Championship. And then Nick Keezer also has a game preview for the Admirals and the Stars. Uh, game three is tonight at 7, I believe. Um, he, he got some quotes in there from Carl Taylor. He's also going to be talking to some of the players, I believe, tomorrow after tonight's game. Uh, so we will pretty much up until the Admirals are eliminated from the playoffs, we will have regular Admirals content. Um, we're going to start churning out some of our NHL draft content as well. I have a story. By the time people listen to this, that should be live about uh, how the Predators and the scouting department have really kind of nailed a lot of those late round picks. Uh, got some quotes from the scouting department on that as well. And then we're going to start having hopefully daily scouting reports on pretty much anyone in that 12 to 20 range that could be on the board for the Predators, forwards, defensemen, scouting reports, breakdown of them, maybe some film study, hopefully some scout uh, quotes from scouts and stuff. Pretty much anything draft-related up until the actual NHL draft, we will hopefully have you covered on Nashville Hockey Now. You need to expand that from like 12 to like 30 because now we know the pick, by the way, is 24th pick. So they've got the, true, yeah. the, the 15th pick and the 24th pick now that Edmonton's done. Um, so even though I was rooting for Connor McDavid and Matias Ekholm and the Oilers, obviously the other side of that coin is that the pick is now a couple spots earlier. Uh, so now it's the 24th pick, which is not a terrible pick at all. 15 and 24 could be yeah. packaged. 15 and 24 could be packaged quite nicely for something. Should they want to, should they want to go up or move back? You mentioned the, the AHL Calder cup standings. Uh, they're tied at one at time of taping there will game three, as you mentioned, will be Wednesday evening. So by the time you hear this, it's already a two, one series. Who knows yeah. which who knows which direction? Milwaukee won game one, two to one. Texas won game two, five to three. Game we'll also four. be doing oh sorry. Well, game four will be seven o'clock on Friday. So whenever you hear this, just know that either the either Milwaukee is trying to eliminate Texas or facing elimination from Texas on Friday night. So and we'll go. also be doing some some playing GM scenarios as well, looking at some players that the Predators could potentially trade for, maybe some offer sheet options we've talked about that you know a little bit on on this podcast as well um there's a lot there's a lot of teams that have high paid players that are up against the cap that could be forced to trade some players dropping a little hint i'm gonna i'm i'm Hmm. excited to dive into this one the colorado avalanche are one could they the predators possibly look at trading for sam gerard that's that's a possibility we're looking at which i think would be hilarious if that actually happened but (laughs) There, there are plenty of players that are that could be made available via trade because of the salary cap situation. Some of them could benefit the Predators. 
We're going to look at possible trade scenarios, stuff like that. So pretty much anything that you want to know regarding the Predators, trade, free agency, draft, whatever, we're going to have you covered on NashvilleHockeyNow.com. Should the Predators try to acquire Seth Jones, Matias Ekholm, and Sam Girard next on the Gold Standard? No, <laughs> check it out. The blue line. <laughs> check it, yeah, it would be. Check it out. Nashville Hockey Now, of course. You can get to him on, on Twitter at MG Sports underscore. You can get to me at Braden Gall. Please go to Jaspers, everybody. You guys know the drill. Great place to go watch games, NHL playoffs, NBA playoffs. Um, you got all kinds of stuff coming up. You got, I think you got the PGA Championship this weekend. Should be a lot of fun. So great place to go uh, hang out. Hey, look, I'm a big golf guy. I like watching golf on TV. In fact, I'm wearing a master shirt right now as we speak. So um, as I've gotten older, Michael, I've really enjoyed the laziness of watching golf. It's quite it's quite entertaining and soothing and relaxing. So, uh, And the wardrobe ahead. is quite comfy as well. <laughs> yes, yes, it is. Hey, <laughs> it's, get, it's getting that time of year. No more flannels. All, all dry fit, baby. No, no more cotton in Nashville. That is for sure. That's uh, the way to do it. You walk outside, you start sweating immediately. Oh, it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. All right. Uh, thanks to everybody for listening. Rate, review, subscribe. Uh, follow us on the Twitter machine. Make sure you check out Jaspers. Make sure you check out Nashville Hockey Now as well. For Michael, I'm Braden. Thanks for hanging out. This has been the Gold Standard here on the 440 Sports Network.